Uh, our scripture reading this morning is from Romans 12, 1 through 1 and 2. Uh, 1 through 2? I guess that includes everything in between. <laughs> I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Amen. Good morning. Uh, Aaron and Brooke, wherever you are, uh, thank you for making Abilene part of your trip. I know that uh, that's not easy as, uh, you know, pregnant and travels. So we're really glad you, you stopped by and able to see you and briefly. Love you guys. Thankful for you. Lifting you up. also wanted to share a couple updates with a couple of our members that I know of. There may be more, but at least two of our members in the hospital currently. Uh, Tex Jackson uh, was admitted, I think, Thursday, anemic week dehydrated, uh, and then tested positive for COVID, which actually is not so far, doctors couldn't even really tell about that, but they're still trying to figure out she's weak, losing her balance. So let's pray for her. Uh, and then Sarah Mathis, one of our members also who works in the office was admitted. She had a, a fairly severe reaction to some medications that she had been on for a little while. And early, early this morning, they transferred her from Hendrix to San Antonio just so she could get specialized skin care in particular. So Let's be praying for uh, her and the family. So pray with me. Fathers, we just sing, we confess and we sing that endless striving could never make us righteous. We could try our whole life long and we would never get there. All our works could never grant us hope. But hallelujah, the blood of Jesus our only plea and our only boast. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for the forgiveness of th sins. Thank you for no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Thank you for these baptisms. We celebrate you and your work and your grace and your spirit in the, word, in the lives of Haley and Logan. We pray that you would be with them as they continue to pursue oneness through marriage. You would bless their marriage that it would be founded upon the rock, that they would grow to die to self and give of self to one another's good. Father, we're so encouraged by your work in this church and we ask for more. You're at work in a special way and we're glad to be a part of it and we just ask for more. Help us to steward well what you've given us by your spirit. I do pray for Aaron and Brooke that you'd bless their time here, bless their travels along the way and we pray especially for a healthy baby, healthy mama that it would be a sweet season of them just to adjust and get, get used to new family adjustments and schedules and rhythms, give them extra grace. And we pray that even now while they're away, you would be at work and hearts back home. And so when they get ready to head back, you will be ahead of them. Pray for perseverance and favor and joy and really, really hard work. Father, do pray for text. Pray that You'd be with her, pray that she would turn a corner, that it would just be a matter of getting some strength, getting hydrated, some iron. Pray that you would help her, though, regardless of how the week goes, that her faith would be strong and her hope would be strong. I'm so thankful 
for her example as I sat there with her and the hospital and her words were, I'm just so blessed. I'm just so grateful. Thank you for that work. And I pray that you would continue that work. Help her to have just strong hope and be a witness to those around her. We pray for Sarah that you'd bring healing. Uh, even now, God, that her, that her rash would get better, you would just heal her. Um, pray that you'd be with her as she transfers, give doctors wisdom, and that, that this uh, stuff would get out of her system and she could be able to be healed. Um, help her to persevere and endure in trials. Thank you for uh, being with her so far and her having just a peace and a trust in you. Thank you for your word. She's been in Job for many months and you've prepared her and I pray that you'd continue to prepare her to suffer well and I pray for Chris and the family. Be with Chris, help him to shepherd well, be with the kids, help him to trust you. Use this trial for good. We know that you promised to do that, but we wanna see her healed and, and back to normal. So we beg you for that. Father, as we turn to think about your word and reflect on where we're at, would you give us ears to hear? Pray for those that are following you, that they'd be encouraged. I pray for those that are apathetic, that they would be provoked by your spirit. Would you continue to build us into a church that faithfully displays your glory? Thank you that you promised to finish what you begin. We pray this in the strong and beautiful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, your son and the spirit who lives and reigns with you forever. In Christ's name, amen. Well, every other year or so, every two, three, four years, uh, I like to sort of zoom out, take a Sunday, usually in January, sometimes February, and preach a state of the church address. State of the union address is when the president reports on the current condition of the nation and provides encouragement, optimism, policy proposals for the upcoming year. This year's state of the union is March 1st, if you feel so inclined to, to tune in that night. I'm not sure that I will. I might have to clip my fingernails that night or something like that. <laughs> but I want us to zoom out a little bit and see how we're doing in the place that really matters. And that's the blood-bought church of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're a guest here, uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Although, in some ways, especially if you're looking, considering joining Southside, this may be the kind of sermon actually you want to hear. Look under the hood a little bit, see how we're doing. But normally we just go verse by verse through books of the Bible. So we're right now in the Gospel of Matthew. We will be in the Gospel of Matthew for quite some time. We'll take a break just to give you a glimpse of where we're headed. We'll take a break in June and cover Habakkuk. Then we'll jump back in and then we'll take a break in October, November and cover the doctrine of justification, the article upon which this church stands or falls, just to make sure we have that really clear in our minds, and we'll finish Matthew around March next year and uh, probably do a series on sexuality sometime next spring, and then I don't know after that, but we just go through mostly books of the Bible. But today, take a break, zoom out a little bit, and consider how we're doing. And just right up front, I just want to tell you how encouraged I am by you, how, how proud I am to be the pastor of Southside Baptist Church. You guys are an amazing congregation to pastor, and I'm just so thankful. Alicia and I have been here now four and a half years, and uh, still to this day, we just zoom out. Is this, is this really what we're doing? I mean, we are living the dream right now in so many ways. These are the good old days, and it's because of you and your faithfulness. I was gone last week. It feels like I was gone for a month when I missed one Sunday with you guys. And I was with a bunch of other senior pastors and wives, though, and just hearing some of the horror stories of some of their congregations that I can't relate to at all because you guys are so godly and awesome. So thank you 
for pursuing the Lord with everything you have. It makes our job as leaders a joy and not a burden. I want to consider the state of the church, and what I want to do is use our church covenant and our core values sort of as a template to walk through. If you're, if you're not if you're not a member here, we have a church membership covenant, and it's really our horizontal affirmation and commitment. We have a church confession, what we believe about God's word, and so we, that's, the, that's the vertical, but we have a church membership covenant that really defines what it means to be a member of a local church, and therefore, according to our view of things, it defines what it means to be a Christian, and so I want to use it as a sort of a template to encourage and challenge us a little bit. And our church covenant begins with these really important prefatory remarks. It says this, having been brought by the free grace of God to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and to submit ourselves to his gracious lordship and having been baptized upon our profession of faith in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, we do now relying on his gracious aid, solemnly and joyfully affirm our covenant with one another. The covenant is a lot about what we're going to do and what we're called to do. So it's really important to start here with what's been done. Having been brought by the free grace of God to believe, we now covenant with one another to fulfill these obligations, relying on his help, relying on his gracious aid. And so this morning, we're going to talk a lot about what we are to do, but we've always got to start with what he has done. Everything we're called to do as Christians must be seen in light of the gospel. Jesus came and he lived a perfect life, died the death we deserve. We've seen that displayed in baptism. The gospel is what we stake everything on. So we begin there. All that we're called to do is in light of what he's done for us. Maybe you're here and you're not a Christian. That's where you've got to start. Not to be a good church member, not to try to be a good Christian, not to try to clean up your act, but to trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. Turn to him and away from sin. If you've got questions, there's nothing we like to talk about more than becoming a Christian. So let's look then at our, our covenant and our core values. We normally start with we worship Jesus in all of life, but I'm actually going to save that for the last. So first one we'll talk about is that we are ruled by God's word. And I'm going to spend the vast majority of time on this one. And as I talk about these, these are who we are as a church, praise God, but they're also who we want to continue to grow into. And you are, as a church, ruled by God's word. This church has a high view of God, therefore it has a high view of God's word. And I'm, again, I'm so thankful. That's really what a pastor can ask for is, do they follow God's word? And again, I spend a lot of time with pastors, increasingly so, uh, and um, I'm often just struck by things that should not be the way they are. I'll just give you one example. We are an elder-led church here. The Bible is just so crystal clear that God's will for his church is to be led by a plurality of spiritually qualified male elders. If that's new to you, we did a sermon back in like September under Membership Matters all about that issue. The Bible is just so crystal clear, but for some reason, Baptists have got away from it. I don't really know why historically the very first president of the Southern Baptist Convention wrote a book on church government and said that the church should be led by, led by a plurality of elders. But nowadays in Baptist life, it's actually rare. Again, I don't know why. You have different, different kind of models. Sometimes like it's the senior pastor who calls all the shots. That's just unwise and unbiblical. Sometimes it's deacons who run the church, but that's not their role according to scripture. They are to serve the church, not lead the church. Sometimes it's committees 
where minutes are kept and hours are lost. And there's no committees in the Bible. It's really clear. And so what now is happening, you know, thankfully there is a resurgence of pastors, footnote, mostly due to the influence of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, where pastors are seeing that the Bible teaches a plurality of elders. And so they're coming into churches and slowly and patiently teaching we need to shift and move to elders. And so I hear story after story of pastors doing that. And again, often sometimes five or six, seven years in, and I've heard more than once people say that they've shown them from Scripture and someone, usually a deacon, but yeah, I see that in the Bible, but we're not going there. Whew. That's scary and sad. And I'm so thankful that you're not that way. You follow God, therefore, you follow God's word. You fear him and you want to follow him. You are ruled by God's word. So I, we, speaking on behalf of leaders, so encouraged by your commitment to the word of God. Life is short. So we want to be serious. I often share this quote. Uh, it's in our membership class. I want to share it again about churches. It's my pastor in DC. He says this, if you're looking for a good church, the role of the preacher of God's word is the most important thing to consider. I don't care how friendly you think the church members are. I don't care how good you think the music is. Those things can change. But the congregation's commitment to the centrality of the word coming from the front, from the preacher, the one gifted by God and called to that ministry is the most important thing you can look for in a church. And I love that quote because it says the congregation's commitments. And you have that commitment. I just mentioned our preaching plan, and it's been this way for four and a half years. And inevitably, when I'm in one of our short little series that we will do, we'll take a break and uh, tackle a, a topic for a little bit. There's still sermons based on the Bible. We, I call them topositional. It's a topic, but we're grabbing a passage of scripture to address that topic. And I'll inevitably have some church members say, when are we going to get back in a book? <laughs> Let's get back in books of the Bible because you're ruled by God's word. But we've got to amp it up. We've got to amp it up as a church and as individuals and as families. I've just been struck recently by how hard the battle is today in American culture to be a Christian. It's coming so quickly. The battle's not new. We've always been in a battle, not against people, not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual powers of darkness over this present age. We have three enemies. We've got the world, the flesh, and the devil. The world is the air we breathe. It's the culture. It's that system of values opposed to God and God's word. David Wells says that worldliness is what makes sin look normal in any age and righteousness seem odd. Tell me that's not exactly where we are. Sin looks normal and righteousness looks odd. The world, the culture is pushing on us harder and harder and harder. Let me look at Romans 12 again. Romans 12 coming after all that theology in Romans 1 to 11. And then he transitions then to how we're to live. Romans 12, 1, I appeal to you, therefore, therefore, based on everything I've said, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. 
Do not, this is a command to you, Christian, right here. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what's good and acceptable and perfect. I think all of us today, we've got to take this more seriously than we have. Do not be conformed to the world. J.B. Phillips paraphrases, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold because that is what it's actively doing. And we've got to be aware. We've got to wake up today as Christians. Not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, it's not from the Father, it's from the world. And the world's passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. The world's against us, wanting to conform us. But then we have the flesh, the world, the problem's not just on the outside, it's on the inside as well. Our fallen self, the flesh is humanity standing in opposition to God. And so we've got to fight our own fallen tendencies and put to death that which is worldly in us. Put to death the deeds of the flesh, what theologians have called indwelling sin, remaining sin. So, yeah, we've got to fight out here, but we've got to fight in here as well. You've got the world, you've got the flesh, and then you've got the devil. We have an enemy. I think half the time we act as if... We act just like the materialists, that there's nothing outside the material world. Well, read a page or two of the Bible. We'll see we have a spiritual enemy. A couple weeks ago, we saw that he prowls and he wants to pluck up the seed before you hear the word of God. He's actively against you. He does not want you to hear the word. 2 Corinthians 4.4 calls him the God of this world. And he's blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Satan's the God of this age. 1 John 5, 19, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. So there you have the world and the devil dancing together in a dance of death. And they're against us, the world, the flesh, and the devil. They're seeking to rule us. But we must be ruled by God's word. I wonder if we were to quantify the amount of time we spend consuming worldly, fleshly, ultimately satanic input versus God's word or God-centered input and media. The reality is our lives today are dominated by screens. And here's what we've got to get. We've got to be awake. We've got to realize that every screen is preaching at you. There's no neutrality in this world. Nothing is just neutral if we believe the Bible. Every little square centimeter is claimed by Jesus Christ, counterclaimed by the father of lies. So we've got to wake up. The world is discipling us. As I read sociology, it seems that it's winning. We've got to know that the vast majority of content on any screen, whether it's TV or Netflix or TikTok, social media, whatever it is, it's wanting to shape you. And so don't, don't mishear me. I'm not saying throw out every screen. What I'm saying is wake up. Be aware that something is wanting to shape you. 
It's wanting to mold your desires and your interests and what you think is normal. It's wanting to disciple you. It's wanting to think, wanting you to think in certain ways about who God is, wanting you to think in certain ways about other people. It's wanting you to think, especially in our day, certain ways about sexuality. It's wanting you to think and give you a vision for happiness, which actually is the opposite. We're bombarded with advertisements all the time. And what we've got to learn to see is advertisements are the street preachers of our day. We see them all the time, and we've just got to be awake. How much God-centered input, and I'm not just talking about listening to sermons or even just reading the Bible, but are you surrounding yourselves with the things of God and the people of God compared to worldly input? So we just got to know the world is catechizing us. Love is love. It's a catechism answer. What is the chief end of man? The world answers YOLO. You do you. How you feel is all that matters. And so we just got to be, we got to be awake. We got to be aware. And I think we all sense this, you know, we all sense that something's not right. I was talking with Aaron actually, and Aaron was like, you know, we got our problems over there, but here it just seems like everybody's angry. <laughs> everybody's on edge. I think we all know that social media and the internet's part of that answer. And it's really hard to nail down though, but there's been a lot of studies recently. I want to share with you. I'm going to close my Bible here for a minute. I'm going to share a little bit of sociology with you just to help you wake up. And it's going to sound like I'm picking on girls, but listen, I'm actually, because I care for you, I want to share these. It's hard to nail it down until you, you, you focus on one sliver, one smaller demographic. And study after study is showing, and this is mostly secular people, that social media in particular is harmful for adolescent girls. So hear me out just for a minute. Depression, anxiety, and self-injury surged in the early 2010s. Why? What happened? Well, Facebook was created in 2004, the Facebook Took a long while to take off. Then we have the iPhone in 2007. Then you have Facebook buying Instagram in 2012. And study after study has shown that Instagram in particular is the worst for these young girls. The world, the flesh, and the devil, they're winning our girls. And Instagram is one of its sharpest tools. So from 2010 to 2014, hospitalizations for self-injury doubled for girls 10 to 14 years old. And Instagram in particular causes and fuels body image issues, heightened self-consciousness, amplifies insecurities. So the humble opinion of your fundamentalist sounding Baptist pastor that it's unwise. Parents, I've, you know, I'm a Luddite, so I'm speaking opinion here. I think it's unwise to give kids probably under 18 a smartphone, certainly 16. But when you add Instagram, the world is telling us it's not working. There's an elbow in the data set. You've got all of history. And then boom, early 2010s, bam, depression, anxiety, and self-harm skyrockets. What is new in the early 2010s? The world and the flesh and the devil want to rule us. And so we gotta be awake. We gotta be wise. We gotta be intentional. We gotta be on guard. I know it's really a bummer, isn't it? It's tiring. <laughs> Don't you just want to relax sometimes? We're not given that option in today's world, unfortunately. And so, again, I'm not saying maybe you'd get rid of it. Maybe you do. 
But you lean in and you're on guard knowing that the world is discipling, the world wants to shape, the world wants to form, and it seems like they're winning. So we want to be ruled by God's word, not the world. And so be a person of the book. If you don't have a Bible plan, get a plan, read it, pray every day, meditate on it, memorize it. Joshua 1.8, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate it on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that's written in it. For then you'll make your way prosperous. Then you will have good success. God's ways are best. God's ways lead to success. In the sense of human flourishing, it's what we're designed for. God knows. He's the designer. God is wiser than we are. And so we want to be ruled by God's word. We've got a lot of families at Southside, praise God. Ensure that your house is ruled by God's word. Listen to Deuteronomy chapter 6, a passage we talk about regularly. We want it in your bones. Deuteronomy 6, 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise all the time. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Parents talk about the, the word all the time. That's what the issue is here, all the time. Bring in, make connections, ask questions. If you're in part of our programming here, whether it's kids Sunday school on Sunday morning or Wednesday night, we send you questions. Make it real easy. Hey, here's what they were taught. Ask these three questions. Use your ride home. Use commutes. Redeem the time. All the time. Bring the Lord up. Use the New City Catechism. Easy way. Ask questions, talk about the Lord, just read. You don't have to know much. You can read, most of you can read. Just read a page, read a chapter of the Bible. Implement daily family worship, set some goals. Maybe it's, you know, here we are January, set some goals. If you got kids under your roof, grandkids under your roof, implement daily family worship. Make it a goal three, four times a week. Read, pray, sing. We tend to change it up as a family. It's part of, I think, just my nature. But let me just tell you what we do now. It's not a lot. So depending on your schedules, uh, you figure out what works for you. But right now with our rhythm, we're able to do something at breakfast and at dinner, which I'm very thankful for. So at breakfast, we'll get up early. We meet six, what is it? 6.50, we meet. Uh, they're eating breakfast. And I use New City Catechism. I want that little New City devotional. And so I'll just ask the question and uh, then I'll read a little section. And New City Catechism devotional has got an old dead guy, which I particularly like. And then it's got a new guy. And so three days, there it is. Just read it. It's got a verse. That's Tuesday. Read the dead guy, that's Wednesday, favorite day of the week. Then you got Thursday, read the new guy. There it is, that's it. That's breakfast, three days a week. That takes six or seven minutes. So that's just a little bit of fuel. But then at dinner, uh, depending on the, the week, we may have five nights together a week. So we take the dinner table. We're there together, we're eating. And so right after that, we've got this little uh, storybook Bible. Read a chapter. It takes like two and a half minutes. There's all kinds of resources. Check our website out for all this. We want to help equip you as parents. So we'll read a chapter. We'll sing one of the songs that we're going to sing on Sunday morning just to get it in our bones. And then we will uh, pray for an unreached people group. We'll use the Joshua Project app. That's, what is that? Eight minutes? It's not a lot. Every one of you can do that. It's not a lot, but here's the thing. Think about the cumulative effect of that week 
after week, month after month, year after year for 18 years. That's a lot of gospel instruction that the spirit can light a fire in. Listen to J.C. Ryle. He says, fathers and mothers, you may take your children to be baptized and have them enrolled. He was Anglican. Have them enrolled in the ranks of Christ's church. You may get godly sponsors to answer for them and help you buy their prayers. You may send them to the best of schools, give them Bibles and prayer books and fill them with head knowledge. But if all this time there's no regular training at home, I tell you plainly, I fear it will go hard in the end with your children's souls. Home is the place where habits are formed. Home is the place where the foundations of character are laid. Home gives the bias to our tastes and likings and opinions. See then, I pray you, that there be careful training at home. Happy indeed is the man who can say, as Bolton did upon his dying bed to his children, I do believe not one of you will dare to meet me before the tribunal of Christ in an unregenerate state. Child parents are the primary disciple makers of their kids. We just don't have that much time with them as a church. For the most faithful families, we get a couple hours a week. You get them many, many, many hours a week. So use that time to make your home ruled by God's word. Second, we're disciples who make disciples. Church Covenant says this. We are disciples who make disciples. By grace, we commit to obey King Jesus and help move others from wherever they are to where the Lord wants them, submitting every area of their lives to his leadership. This is the calling of every, every Christian. The Great Commission is not just for missionaries, it's for every Christian. Jesus gave it to us. Who is a disciple? A disciple is someone who makes disciples. If we're not helping people follow the Lord, we're not following Jesus. And really, we're not a disciple because he defines a disciple as someone who makes disciples who makes disciples. And Ephesians 4 lays out the vision for the church. The ascended Christ, the victorious Christ, who has all authority and all power right now, gives gifts to his church, the local church, in the form of pastor teachers. What's their job? This is all Ephesians 4, 11 to 16. Their job is to equip the saints through the word, to do the work of the ministry. The work of the ministry is actually not the leadership. Our job is to equip you to do the work of the ministry. And what does he say in those verses the work of the ministry is? Building one another up, helping one another be grounded in doctrine so that you're not blown about by every wind of doctrine and every teaching. And how do you do it? Verse 15, you speak the truth in love to one another. Every Christian called to do that as we equip you with the word. And at a church here at Southside, we got a lot of ways that that happens. But I think the most overlooked and also the most important thing is the informal and the organic. A bunch of sold-out Christians who come to church gatherings with intention. That's why we gave away about a year ago that little book, How to Walk into Church. To see this meeting in our other meetings, we don't have a lot, but see them with intention, thinking, I'm not coming here to consume, I'm coming here to contribute. And so you walk through this room with eyes looking to encourage and build up. Sunday mornings are the primary vehicle for discipleship. Again, here's what our covenant says. We are ruled by God's word. We will not forsake the gathering of ourselves together, but we'll prioritize corporate worship, treasuring our church's weekly opportunity to sing the word, pray the word, hear the word, and see the word displayed in the ordinances. So use this time with intention. 
We also have D groups. D groups are one of the main ways that we do discipleship as a church. You can learn about it on our website. We've got tips. We've got resources. We've got templates. The idea is that we're all called to help one another follow the Lord. And D groups are one of the main ways to do that because they're smaller, three to five, same gender, men or women, meeting weekly, reading a book of the Bible together, reading another God-centered book together with the aim of helping one another follow the Lord. And friends, the hallmark, the hallmark of spiritual maturity is when we care about the spiritual growth of fellow church members, the one another's of the New Testament. There's 50 of them. Third, we are in authentic community. Here's what the covenant says. We're an authentic community. We are in authentic community. We will work and pray for the unity of the church. We will walk together in Christian love exercising an affectionate care and watchfulness over each other and faithfully admonishing and encouraging one another as occasion may require. And one of the things that sadly is unique about Southside is what we want is commitment on the front ends. We don't want to appeal to your interest as consumers because then we'll have a church full of consumers. We want to say, get all in on the front end and then get busy with the community. That's actually how true community works. Just think about marriage. You commit on the front end and then do the hard work of practicing hospitality and having people over and doing D groups, being intentional, attending meetings with intention. Our goal as a church is to be simple, actually. We don't want to dominate your calendar with all kinds of programming and events. When we have things, we try to make them count. And so come to what we offer. Come to Sunday night meetings. Almost always the first Sunday of the month. Next one's next Sunday, 5 o'clock, February 6th. There, one of the most valuable things we do is we pray corporately for one another. So come when the church is gathered and come with intentionality. Come early, stay late. If you come to a Bible study, we built in this extra time. So there's 30 minutes between Bible study and the service. And that's a lot of time if you're not being intentional. But if you're being intentional, that's not enough time. Come with intention and help build authentic community. Fourth, we're committed to missional living. Missional is just the adjective form of missionary. We're all on mission. And at least for now, Abilene is our mission field together. Here's what the covenant says. We're committed to missional living. We all seek to proclaim and adorn the gospel of Jesus Christ before our family, friends, and neighbors. We will endeavor to bring up our children as well as any others under our care in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And one main challenge I want to I challenge you with here on, on missional living is to love your neighbor. Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? Love God with all that you are. Seconds like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Now we know that the word neighbor in scripture, Luke chapter 10, the good Samaritan, the word neighbor really means anybody. It's a really a broad term. And so it means more than your actual neighbor, but it doesn't mean less than your actual neighbor. <laughs> so I wonder, do you know the names of your neighbors? It's real easy to say, yeah, I love my neighbor. I love the world. As one has said, to love the whole world for me is no chore. My only problem is my neighbor next door. And so I've got some homework for you. Kids, you can totally get in on this. I think we've got a slide for you. Take a picture of this or just take a mental note. Kids, you can actually draw your street. Street probably doesn't look like that. But here's your goal. 
this year, fill in your neighborhood. So there's your home. Who lives behind you, front of you, to the side? Find out their names. That's your homework. Find out your, the names of your neighbors. Make some, make some notes about who they are. Name of their pet. Name of their kids. What do they do? And then begin to pray. I just think if we take some effort just to learn names, I think that actually gives the Lord a lot to work with. And so here's your homework. Actually love your actual neighbor. <laughs> Fifth, we give sacrificially. Our covenant says this. We give sacrificially. We will work together for the advancement of the gospel through Southside Baptist Church as we prayerfully support its leadership and contribute cheerfully and generously to the work of the ministry, the expenses of the church, the relief of the poor, and the spread of the gospel, both to our neighbors and the nations. And I'm so thankful for your generosity. You guys give sacrificially. We were able to do all kinds of really good ministry this past year. But if every member gave sacrificially, we'd be able to do so much more. You know, the New Testament doesn't actually command a tithe. Nowhere is the New Testament command, you shall tithe. That's an Old Testament command. And if you did the math, it actually ended up being about 23.5% in the Old Testament. What we're called to in the New Testament is what we could call grace giving. And I always want to say, if an Old Covenant, unregenerate Israelites who knew nothing of the cross or the Spirit of God was called to tithe, you think we are called to do more or less than that now that we have the Spirit and know the gospel. I agree with Randy Alcorn. It says that the tithe ought to be the training wheels of giving. It's a good place to start, not finish. So maybe you're not there. Maybe a goal for you this year ought to be, let's get up to 10%. Maybe you're there. Maybe a goal ought to be, let's, let's squeeze even more. Let's add a percent. I don't know what it is. And it's not to meet our budget. It's because what we've seen in the Sermon on the Mount, it's because Jesus wants all of your heart and he knows the way to get there is through the checkbook. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Six, we serve the church. When we talk about serving the church, we're not just talking about filling slots in our ministry programming, but doing spiritual good to others. Here's how the covenant puts it. We serve the church. We commit to use our God-given gifts for the building up of the church. With humility and gentleness, patience and love, we will be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, even as God in Christ has forgiven us. We will not neglect to pray for one another. We will carry each other's burdens, rejoicing with those who rejoice and weeping with those who weep. And so this is actually not that different from making disciples. We want to do spiritual good to one another in all kinds of ways, serving them, loving them. But there are a couple slots, specific areas. If you, like, if you feel like you can contribute to student ministry, Nathan could use some more small group leaders. Uh, they have a meal every week, Wednesdays at 5.30. It's a really meaningful part of our, of our midweek service. Uh, if you want to jump on that rotation to help provide food, anyone can provide food, even if it's just buying pizza. Reach out to him, let him know. We always want to beef out our nursery rotation. I mean, we love the amount of kids we have at Southside Baptist Church. Love it. But it does pose challenges, as you can imagine, when it comes to nursery. And so if you're a member willing and able to serve, love for you to get on the rotation with us. Even just adding that six times a year makes a big difference in our programming. Email Josh. Both Josh and Nathan's email are on our website. And here's what we need to, we need to know. Sometimes we have the wrong attitude. Nursery can be hard. I get it. Alicia's in there right now as we speak. Wasn't skipping in there this morning. I understand that. But. Here's what we want. We want a culture 
a church culture that loves kids, that values the next generation. Sometimes say they're the future of the church. They are the church. They're here. Let's give ourselves to them. Notice the way Jesus, Jesus valued children. Just to read a couple passages, he says this. See that you do not despise one of these little ones. He makes an effort to protect kids. He says this, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But listen to this warning. Man, this is harsh. Jesus said it, so I guess it's not harsh, but listen. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Just picture that for a moment. Jesus cared about children. He said, let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and went away. And so it's a very Christ-like thing to care about children in the next generation. Seventh, we worship Jesus in all of life. Here's what the covenant says. We worship Jesus in all of life in all we do. We will aim to glorify and enjoy the God of our salvation from whom and through whom and to whom are all things to him be the glory forever. This, this is the goal. Worship is not just here in this room. Worship is not a Sunday morning. Worship is all of life in the Bible. And that's what we want. That's our desire as a leadership. And as you do that, everything else, all the rest of this covenant will take care of itself. If you're worshiping him with all that you have, how do we get there? Really, for all these things, how do we get there? Well, let me go back to the verse we've read, Romans 12. I looked at that negative aspect, do not be conformed, but notice the positive. Based upon the gospel, I appeal, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed, be changed. By, here's how, the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. How do we get there? Well, we need to be changed constantly. And he tells us the means by which we're changed as Christians, the renewal of the mind. This is why we take the Bible so seriously. It's for your growth. Because God promises the main engine to your transformation is the renewal of your mind. And the main means the Spirit promises to renew your mind is the word he inspired. We seek to submit every area of our lives to the Lordship of Christ. Anyone there yet? Every area of your life to his Lordship? No, none of us. We all have these little unevangelized pockets in our hearts. It takes a lifelong journey to get there. Slowly, but surely, though, we're being changed and transformed. John Newton said this, I'm not what I ought to be. I'm not what I want to be. I'm not what I hope to be in another world, but still I am not what I once used to be. And by the grace of God, I am what I am. At the end of the day, that's the desire of the leadership of this church is to produce worshipers. Not Sunday morning only. Sundays are important, but all of life worshipers. Really, as leaders, we have two main aims, God's glory and your joy. And the way he's structured the world, those two go together. 
We want God honored by this church. And we know that when that happens, when you prioritize your life around him and his glory, you'll find true joy. What is the chief end of man? What are we here for? What's our highest aim? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. So Southside, thank you for your faithfulness. As I think about you, I think about what Paul told the local church in Thessalonica. He said this. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, do so more and more. Just as you're doing, you're doing it. Do it more. (laughs) He goes on to put it like this. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you're doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you brothers to do this more and more and to aspire to live quietly, to mind your own affairs, to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Thank you for your faithfulness. Let's keep doing it. Let's pray. Father, as I look out here, I am so encouraged and so thankful, men and women, families that are sold out to you. They're, they're clinging to the gospel. They're seeking to help others follow you. They, at the end of the day, they want to see Jesus exalted. And we give you the praise for that. That's nothing that anyone can conjure up. That's a result of your spirit. And we pray that you would do more. Keep doing more. Continue to help us to be sold out and grow us spiritually, increase our hatred for sin, increase our love for you, our love for your body, and help us to be intentional. Help us to redeem the days, for they are evil. Give us favor. Continue to change lives. We need your gracious aid to do it as we seek to renew our minds. Thank you for your promises. We lean on them. In Christ's name, amen.